morning, and welcome to episode 623 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, presented by the Play Index at BaseballReference.com. I am Ben Lindbergh of Grantland, joined by Sam Miller of Baseball Prospectus. Hello, Sam. Howdy. And we're doing the Cincinnati Reds preview podcast today. Later in the show, Sahadev Sharma will be speaking to C. Trent Rosecrans from the Cincinnati Inquirer. But we have the pleasure of speaking to Baseball Prospectus's R.J. Anderson, who wrote the Reds essay for the annual. Hey, R.J. How you doing? All right. So give us a sense of what things looked like heading into the offseason for the Reds. You wrote a bit about this in your essay, but financially, payroll-wise, and player personnel-wise, what were the, the constraints they were operating under as they headed into November? Well, they were in a tough spot because after this season, four of their five starting pitchers would have qualified for free agency. And obviously Cincinnati is not the largest market out there. So while their payroll has been pretty high by their standards and has increased a lot in recent years, it was still just about major league average. And if you're Walt Jockety, you have Johnny Cueto, Matt Latos, Homer Bailey is obviously locked up. But then you have Alfredo Simon and Mike Leake at the back end. Four of those are about to leave. You have to make some tough decisions. So he did that by trading off Simon and Latos. And now they're in a situation where they have to look to youth because they didn't make many big offseason additions. So they're in a weird situation. It's probably not going to be a fun year in Cincinnati as a result. And so what do you think of the rotation choices they made if they had to get rid of some guys and keep others? Would you have kept the ones they kept and gotten rid of the ones they got rid of? Oh, yeah, I would have kept Cueto and Lake, uh, Leek, excuse me. Uh, you know, Cueto's the best of the bunch. Latos has injury issues of his own to deal with. And with Leek and Simon, you know, Simon had a good season. I think he is a legitimate back of the rotation starter these days. But I like Leek just a little bit more because of the reliability and because he's a little younger than Simon is, despite having more experience. So tell me why Cueto is so good in your estimation and whether, uh, I mean, it still sort of feels like even now there isn't like necessary, maybe I'm lagging, but it still feels like there still isn't quite full buy-in on him from around the you know world. Like that, you, you don't really hear people talking about him like he's the second best pitcher in baseball. Uh, but you can sort of make the case that he you know has been for the last four years. Absolutely. Um, so uh, where do you what like what sort of uh, I don't know what where, what was the switch in him uh, that made him uh, so dominant? Do you believe that the FIP ERA discrepancy? continues to be an issue or at this point can we ignore it uh and uh if you're looking at him say going into the next offseason when he'll be a free agent uh, do you see any red flags there well i'm not sure what the exact switch was unless you're talking about a perception but he's an unusual pitcher because for one thing he's a short guy but he's not short in the sense that he's short and skinny like most relievers he's a short squat type you know there's some thickness to his lower body and when you look at his stuff, he doesn't have, I guess you kind of come to expect, you know, the Kershaw, the big fastball, big breaking ball. Cueto is a little more, I don't want to call him a finesse pitcher, but he's definitely a little more crafty than your usual, you know, young stud or whatever you want to call him. As so far as 
as he enters, you know, next season, am I, if I'm worried about the FIP ERA discrepancy, I'm not because he does some things that FIP doesn't really account for well. Uh, for instance, he holds the runners, uh, he holds the running game all by himself. He doesn't need a good catcher because of his pickoff move. It's kind of bulky. You know, he likes to do the knee pop, which is supposedly illegal. However, he gets away with it. So why does he, why would he stop? And beyond that, he's a good fielder, which FIP doesn't try to account for. And, you know, he's got a good command. Sometimes weak contact through the air is your best, uh, is a pitcher's best friend because it's not going to result in an, uh, a base hit or extra bases very often. So you add all that together, and I think he's the definition of a FIP beater for me. And then so far as heading into the free agent class, you know, it's a loaded class when it comes to starting pitchers. You have David Price, Jordan Zimmerman, potentially Zach Greinke, of course, Cueto, and I believe there's one other who I'm missing. You know, Elatos is obviously going to be out there, too. Samarja. Samarja. He's also going to be out there. So it's a loaded class. Oh, Iwakuma. He'll be uh-huh. out there, too. Yeah. So it's very loaded. I would rank him, I know I hate to try and project a whole season ahead, but I think he's in my top five um, overall, not just for starting pitchers. Mm-hmm. I think very highly of him, and I would not hesitate to lock him up, even though he does have some injury issues in the past that you kind of have to look into. So I guess I shouldn't say I wouldn't hesitate, but I would, on talent alone, I would look into him as a um, front of the rotation starter for the next few years at least. And do you think it's possible that that rotation could be the Reds' rotation? Were the moves that they sure. made this offseason sort of made with that in mind? or? Well, I don't know if I would say they were made with that in mind. I think they were trying to not necessarily sell off for, na- uh, for later and not buy for now. I think they were trying to split the middle. So you know, whether they could afford Latos and keep Simon and Leak or whatever, I think that's kind of irrelevant. I think Cueto is going to demand a very large contract, which isn't going to, so I mean, going to make Alfredo Simon's salary irrelevant. But I'm not sure if he, they have the resources to sign him. One thing that's working in their favor is they will be up for a new, tel- a new television deal soon, and if they get any kind of deal that's comparable to the Diamondbacks deal, I think they will end up keeping Cueto. Uh, another thing, I mean, the free agent starting pitching class is going to be loaded. Maybe he slips through the cracks for some weird reason. You know, maybe he has an injury or his medical files don't come back clean and they end up keeping him some weird way like that. But I would say, yeah, there's a chance. I don't know how likely it is. And I wouldn't call it probable or anything, but sure, why not? So you said that uh, Cueto doesn't look like the classic pitcher. On the other hand, mm-hmm. Homer, ba- Homer Bailey very much does. And you Absolutely. can sort of see why uh, they would want to extend him last year. He was coming off back-to-back 200-inning seasons. He looked like he had really taken a step forward. Uh, and then he had a down season, and then he got hurt in September. He's going to miss mm-hmm. probably at least April or part of April this year. And he's still owed, I think it's five years and $95 million, uh, going forward. Um, has that gotten to where, and incidentally, he would have been a free agent this past winter they hadn't yep. signed it so basically they bought out the next five years early and they own 95 million for it i'm curious if you think that that is has become clearly a bad contract at this point already uh if he had been a free agent this offseason how close to that do you suppose he would have gotten 
uh, and um, is is I don't know. I guess is is it too early, or maybe it's never going to be. Maybe it's a, maybe it'll never be true that this will be true. But is it too early to say that they chose the wrong guy to extend? I wouldn't call it a bad contract just yet because we're talking about ninety five million or so. And if you look at this free agent market, especially the Dodgers, they've been willing to give big money to guys who are injury prone. You know, Brett Anderson. He's barely thrown over the last three seasons, and he got $10 million guaranteed. So, you know, what's nine? I mean, $95 million is obviously a lot more than $10 million, but Anderson doesn't have Bailey's recent track record of health or performance. So I would hesitate to call it a bad contract because it's only one season, and we know that Bailey, when he is right, is capable of being a potential front-of-the-rotation starter. Uh, at the same time, I mean, I guess you could say the Reds regret extending him and not Cueto, but Cueto also had the greater injury history. So if he had gotten hurt, you'd be having the same discussion in reverse. If, you know, Bailey had stayed healthy and Cueto had suffered, you know, shoulder injury or whatever. So I wouldn't call it a bad contract yet. I do think he probably would have taken a one-year deal or something to make good if he had been a free agent. And, you know, we'll see how it goes next year, but I'm reluctant to call it a bad contract at this point. So you mentioned in your essay that the offense was an issue last year. Obviously, that was partly Votto being hurt and then being Mm -hmm. out. But they didn't do a whole lot to improve the lineup this winter. Do you think it's enough? Did they maybe not need to do that much because guys will bounce back? Or is that going to be an issue again this year? You guys know who they signed. They only signed one free agent to a big league contract. Can you guys name him? <laughs> um, they signed one free agent to a big league contract. All winner. One free agent to a big league contract. And we name him. Uh, it's not a player that they re-signed? No, it is not. I'm talking uh, actual free agent. Uh, I don't think I, you guys are going to get it. I, I'm just going to throw random name out there who I don't <laughs> think is, is a red. Uh, Jared Burton. No, he signed <laughs> elsewhere. He signed with the Yankees on a minor league deal. Uh-huh. It was Burke Badenhop. So uh-huh. you're kind of close. <laughs> but that, you know that reinforces your point that they didn't do a whole lot this winter to help the offense. They actually only added Marlon Bird on the big league level. And you know Bird should be an upgrade over Ryan Ludwig. However, he has attrition rates of his own, attrition concerns of his own with all the swing and miss in his game and his age. Anyway, to answer your question, they didn't do a whole lot because I think they're counting on Mesoraco's uh, improvements sustaining. They're counting on Todd Frazier to continue to be a good bat. They're counting on Joey Votto and Jay Bruce to bounce back. You know, maybe Billy Hamilton gets a little better. Maybe Brandon Phillips has a resurgent year if he stays healthy. You know, so on and so forth. There's a lot of maybes and what ifs and all. I do think they'll be better than last season because it's hard for all that to go wrong again. But I don't really see this as a good offense. I see it as having the same issues that they had under Dusty Baker, where it seemed like they were one or two bats away from being an elite team rather than a plausible contender every year in and year out. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned a couple of guys that I was going to ask you about specifically. So Billy Hamilton, there was a time where it looked like he was getting better and things were clicking at some point fairly Mm -hmm. early in the season, and then his second-half stats were quite lousy. So 
what did you see from him? Was there any improvement, or should we be even more pessimistic about him after the second half? Well, um, in general, I'm not a fan of him as a hitter. If you watch him, you know his approach is a little. I don't want to say. Um, I guess he just takes the wrong approach for his player type. And you see this guy, he's speedy. He's not going to hit for a lot of power. And he doesn't like to take walks. And yet when you look at his strikeout and infield fly numbers, they're both pretty high considering what I just said about him. So, you know, I think he's going to be a guy who is kind of miscast as a leadoff hitter based on his speed. And while I understand the temptation to put him there, I would probably... I profile him as a down-in-the-order hitter who, you know, you kind of live with his bat to get his defense and his base running in the lineup. So I wouldn't, I don't really see reason for optimism at this point beyond maybe a little improvement here or there marginally. And you mentioned Masarako and his improvement. Mm-hmm. So what did you think was the, the secret to him being such a great hitter last year? And will it be sustainable? Well, I did some research on his numbers and to address the part about what the changes were, he made some mechanical tweaks that, if you listen to him talk, freed his inner athlete. And of course, he always had the pedigree to be a very good hitting catcher. So it, it, the breakout wasn't too surprising in that regard. But I don't think anyone really expected him to post like a 250 isolated slugging or whatever it was. But anyway, back to the research. I did some research on it when he signed the extension. And... He had the largest gain in true average from 2013 to 2014, over 100 points gained. Nobody else was over 80. And when you look at the historical comparables of players who made similar jumps, they usually retain about half of that, maybe a little bit more in some cases. So I do think it's sustainable. And I do think what's fun is that if you look at Pakoda's projection for him, it's like 274 true average or whatever. And if you do that halfway point, it's around 280. So, you know, they're both saying the same thing here. Historically, you know, he's probably a pretty good bet to be a good offensive catcher heading forward, but he's also a good bet to be a good hitter regardless of his position. And that's probably a good thing because, you know, he still has some work to do defensively. He's a big guy. He has heavy feet, hasn't good enough arm to play catcher, but, you know, he needs some work on the finer things back there. So before... This year, Jay Bruce's slugging percentages in his career, 450, 470, 490, 470, 510, 480. His OPSs were all within about a 60-ish, 70-point range. He was as consistent as any hitter in baseball, and he was 27. So Mm -hmm. it should have been a pretty good year to be Jay Bruce. And so that would all kind of combine to make last year's Jay Bruce season maybe the most shocking down season, maybe the the complete inverse of the Steve Pierce sort of season. Um, do you have any idea like uh, how we should feel about him going forward uh, based on that? I think he'll be fine. Uh, there were some injury issues he dealt with, and he's kind of denied that he rushed back. But, you know, you kind of wonder when a guy who's as consistent and as consistently good as he was has one of those awful crater years. Um I wouldn't, I mean, he's still young. He's entering his age, age 28 season. I would bet on him being good again. I don't think he's, I don't think he's a crater at this point. And Reds fans were, at least some Reds fans were looking forward to the end of the, the Dusty Baker era for years, it seemed like. Mm-hmm. And the first year of the Brian Price era 
at least wasn't successful record-wise or, or standings-wise. So how was he different from Baker? Not that he bears responsibility for where they finished, but was there a notable difference between how the Reds were run pre and post price? I believe so. Of course, the funny thing is they led the NL in position player sacrifices last season. So that was kind of a throwback to Baker's way of doing things. However, it was done mostly with Hamilton and bad players like Skip Schumacher, Ramon Santiago, blah, blah, blah. Um, one of the key differences between Price and Baker is how he used the second slot in the order. Under Baker, they would usually bat Zach Cozart there because he's a back control guy. You know, he'll bunt the runner over, hit and runs, whatever you want to do. He can do it. With Price, you know, he kind of had the misfortune of having so many of his good hitters, you know, slump or get hurt or whatever. But he used that second slot with Todd. You know, he filled it with Todd Frazier and Votto and even Jay Bruce. And, you know, again, all those guys basically got hurt or stunk. But, you know, it's kind of creativity like that that can give you encouragement about his future there. Uh, the other thing he did that was kind of interesting is, you know, a little bit more aggressive usage of Aroldis Chapman. And, you know, they were in a down season. Like you said, the record was horrible. But if you compare Chapman's usage last season to 2013 when they made the postseason, albeit for one game, they were actually more aggressive with him last year. So that's something to watch as well heading into the new season. I'm play indexing. I don't have a question because I'm play indexing. <laughs> Good brand. I'm not, I'm not done talking about Jay Bruce. You guys went off Jay Bruce so early. <laughs> Jay Bruce, you guys. It was crazy. <laughs> okay, well, while you're play indexing, can you tell us about Brandon Phillips a little bit? Is he clearly on the, the downslope now. We're all on the downslope, Ben. <laughs> yes, that's right. Actually, Sam wrote an article about that once, didn't you? Yes, Brandon did. Phillips a... and how everyone declines. Seriously? It was a very good article. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, There's I, about no recollection of that. Huh? <laughs> Given the opportunity to reread something that I wrote, I will always ditch the play index. <laughs> oh, yeah. The, com- I, the complicated decline of Brandon Phillips. Almost the one-year anniversary of this piece that I have yes. no recollection of. <laughs> It was good. Thanks. What are we talking about? Can I tell you my play index? Go ahead. (laughs) Okay. I'm looking at players who had a worse year at age 27 than Jay Bruce Mm -hmm. and uh, by OPS Plus. And there's a few good names here. Paul Canerco, Johnny Damon, Coco Crisp, uh, Darren Erstad, uh, I don't know, Fernando Tatis. I don't know if he was good ever again. He might have been. And that's a... That's kind of about it. I'm looking. There's like uh, 62 guys since 2000 who had a worse age 27 season, and those are really the only guys who had any sort of uh, hitting career after. You have a Juan Uribe, I guess, bounced back. You have guys who had one-off good seasons afterward, here and there. Is there Uh, a appearance threshold here? Like 300 plate appearances. I just wonder if. If he had sat out after the end, uh, after his surgery or injury, however you want to phrase it, would he have even made the cut? I don't know the exact date of that injury, so uh, something we're considering maybe. Yeah, so like, just pick a random date. Just give me a date. I don't know. Let's go June fifteenth. All right, June fifteenth. He was he uh, he had a six eighty OPS, and he mm-hmm. ended with he ended with a six fifty four. So oh, 
No, I meant plate appearance-wise. Would he have even qualified had he just uh, stayed no. on the sideline? Right. If he had, that would have been 207. So, so I no. wonder if there's kind of a survivor's bias there, so to speak, uh-huh. or selection bias. Right. Yeah, could be. Mm-hmm. I don't. I still bet on Bruce. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's awful now. I would bet on him though. So since I brought up Phillips, any yeah. any thoughts on him? You know, I just think he's in his decline. I don't think he's the worst second baseman out there. I don't think he's Dan Ugla. I think he can still help a team as a a role player. You know, he's probably overpaid, but most players are when they're at this point in their career. So I don't hold that against him. Uh, you know, I don't have much else to add. I just think he is what he is now. I don't think there's a whole lot of upside. And, you know, he can help them win. They don't have a better uh, alternative at this point, so why not? Mm-hmm. So uh, you, I, I think if I'm remembering correctly, you're a big mm-hmm. Walt, you're a big Walt Jockety fan. It would fit your character to be a big Walt Jockety fan. <laughs> is it fair to say you're a big Walt Jockety fan? You know, I think he's, I think he can be underrated. Do you, sure. uh, do you think that? It doesn't really matter to me what people think of Joey Votto for the most part. Right. And I, don't, I don't really feel like I need to retweet every columnist who says Joey Votto oh, needs no. to, to hit more sack flies <laughs> or whatever. I mean, it's like whatever. Columnists are columnists and fans are fans and some of them are smart and some of them have different opinions than we do. And who cares, right? Joey Votto is doing his thing and, and I'm sure Walt Jockety appreciates it and loves it and would not trade it for the world. However, is there some part of the Reds front office that is to blame for this kind of meme or narrative persisting i mean couldn't they come out and say you guys need to shut up joey Votto does exactly what we tell him to he's the best player you know the reds have had in 40 years and uh we we wouldn't take anything else from him you guys are are wrong uh like does it tell us anything about Walt Jockety or anybody in that front office that this has kind of been able to persist year in, year out as arguably a distraction to Votto? Um, I guess that's a good question, but I would say that the big contract extension probably tells us how much Jockety values Votto. And, you know, they have made quotes, and I'm not going to say Jockety specifically, but the leadership there has definitely made quotes kind of egging on the he needs to be more aggressive training and all that. You know, I don't know. Would that have helped? Did people stop ragging on J.D. Drew when Theo Epstein went on the radio and said he didn't care about RBIs? He just wanted him to get on base and do his thing like that? Did that help at all? I don't know. I'm not really qualified to say. All right. Well, you are qualified to make a win total prediction for this team. So give us one of those. Well, Pakoda has them at 79 wins, and that's last place in the Central. You know, that's kind of a weird division because beyond the Cardinals you have a bunch of volatility you know is this the Cubs year a year away and the Brewers don't have the depth to really project to play well over 162 games the Pirates do but the rotation you know AJ Burnett Francisco Lariano eh. I guess I would say the Reds flirt with 500 maybe they end up 82 83 wins maybe it's 79 78 I guess you could say they're the worst team in the division but I think they'll probably squeak out a fourth-place finish, maybe. And I'm not going to hang this up without trying to say Eugenio Suarez. <laughs> he will not be the difference maker for them, but I wanted to say the name anyway. Pick pick one of those numbers that you said for the purposes of, of people who are tracking <laughs> everyone's predictions. <laughs> people do that? People do that. 
Oh my! <laughs> not not individually though. They they're oh. interested in the bias that uh, shows up among all among all pickers. Yes. They're, they're, nobody is going to uh, broadcast your your well, particular success. My guess is most people go the optimistic side, so as to avoid hate mail and such. So I'll go <laughs> yeah, seventy-eight. Sure. Mm-hmm. All right. You're not afraid of negative tweets. Oh. I live for them. <laughs> I don't get any of them. What am I talking about? <laughs> well, long-time listeners remember a running joke early in this podcast history oh, no. about us never talking about the Reds and ignoring the Reds whenever possible. Clearly, we have not done that. We have just completed a Reds season preview podcast, or at least the first segment of one. So thanks for helping us out with this, RJ. Anytime, Benjamin. All right, so people can find RJ's work at Baseball Prospectus, and they can find him on Twitter at R underscore J underscore Anderson. After the musical interlude, you will hear Sahadev speaking to C. Trent Rosecrans. Welcome to the second half of the Effectively Wild Podcast. I'm Sahadev Sharma, Associate Editor for Baseball Prospectus. With me is Trent Rosecrans, Reds beat writer for the Cincinnati Inquirer. Uh, the last place projected Reds, uh, as far as Pakota goes. That's an adjustment, I guess. The, the Brewers got a couple extra wins, and now the Reds are projected for 79 wins. Last place in the Central. Uh, you know what, Trent? There's there's been a little bit of controversy surrounding this team of late. It's it's been kind of uh, I don't know if it's fun for you, interesting for you, however it may be. I know it could get crazy when when people are when when multiple people are at the center of uh, odd goings on. Uh, let's start with Joey Votto. I mean, it seems it like, always starts with Joey Votto, yeah, doesn't it? Yeah, it seems like the press. There's there's certain people that just are never going to be happy with what he does unless he's driving in 120 runs and hitting. 40 home runs I, i'm not even sure if he's ever hit 40 home runs no but <laughs> but i think that's what they want him to do uh, is there any is it fair at all to say that maybe he is a little too passive i you know we all love obp you know uh, you and i i'm sure are on the same page with that but is there any truth to that is there is it fair at all to put that label on him yeah th- th- it, there might be a kernel of truth um, however, the, the one thing that just gets to me, Joey Votto, I think a lot of us would agree about this. Um, and, and stop me if you disagree with me here. Joey Votto probably has one of the best batting eyes in, in the game. Joey Votto also, you can go up to his heat maps and I'll look at that. When he does make contacts and swing it, balls out of the strike zone, he usually is not successful. I mean, again, that's why there are strikes. <laughs> Just, I, I think there's probably a couple of times, but it, you know what? I think it's, it, it, it has to be more anecdotal than it is systematic. You know, when you look at the overall approach, that's what Joey Votto does. He's an approach guy and it's, it's, 
there are people who I think a lot of times it just goes back to the little league mentality that walks are bad and you know that's it that's not it's a testosterone manly thing to do to walk <laughs> and it's passive and it it it's that simple i mean if if jay bruce plays like jay bruce has in all but one year of his career you know it's not a bad thing that he has two guys on instead of one it, it you know it just um it is a tiresome tiresome argument and i'm sure there is some nuance in it that that i don't know and i'm not i've got haven't gotten into and that there are some things that could be tweaked for optimal but honestly joey vado is really really good at baseball and if joey is healthy and that's the big question i mean so many of these things you can debate the contract and I mean, it sure doesn't look great now, um, and you can debate so many other things. But what you can't debate is that when healthy, Joey Votto is a very good baseball player. Yeah, I believe uh, the next guy who I'm going to talk about here, Matt Latos, called him, you know, the best hitter in the National League uh, when when he's healthy. Before we get to Latos, uh, <laughs> <laughs> is there is there anything? Uh, would would this would the controversy around Votto just stop if maybe he just batted second instead of third or fourth? Oh no 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 no. Um, I you know if I'm making out the lineup, I have Joey Votto second. But then I think you see people and what they say is, well, he's a first baseman and he's making two hundred. He has a two hundred whatever million dollar contract. Um, that's not for. Uh, setup guy he second is for bunting guys over because we love sacrifice bunts and put them in for the ribeye steak eaters and the set third and fourth and that's what he needs to do um it's it, no it when he goes to second it would make a lot of people happy uh, you know i i think the statistical community um and and so many of us would go well yeah it makes sense i mean Hell, you want Joey Votto batting more and not less, and and I think a lot of us would be okay with it. But I don't. The the people who are criticizing him for this that that would only add fuel to the fire. And I say this is having when he batted second last year. I know this. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, I'm not surprised by any of that. Uh, okay, let's get to Latos. I, I mean, there there is a lot in that interview that Ken Rosenthal did. I mean, if if you haven't read this, just you know. Google it or go to Twitter. It's 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 chock full of interesting uh, Latos comments, and I, you know, and I've I've kind of followed Latos from afar, and I know he's he can be a controversial guy. He says some he's outspoken and and can and that can lead to some issues. Let's go with the first thing: the lack of leadership. This is what he said. He said we had a. We had a guy with a year and a half in the big leagues wandering around the clubhouse, hanging out. We had a closer in there sleeping until the seventh inning. I'm assuming he's talking about Chapman there. We lose that veteran leadership. That's what happens. You can't have that. It turns into a circus. Is there any validity to that? Um, You know, I don't think the 2014 Reds problem was leadership. I think it was offense. Yeah. Um, was there the guy like Scott Rowland? No. I mean, I think Scott Rowland had a lot of positive effects on this team when he was there and, and, and not just, I think the off the field bits, there was a lot of help from Scott Rowland being that guy. However, 
I don't think that's why the Reds didn't win in 2014. I think they didn't win in 2014 because Joey Votto was hurt. Um, Jay Bruce was not Jay Bruce. Um, they had a guy at the top of the lineup, a rookie, who, who had just a, a, a very good um, first half of the season then fell off in the second half of the season. And, and then the, the team fell off in the second half of the season. To me, it's this team didn't hit. It wasn't that there weren't enough guys on the top step, uh, you know, <laughs> cheering. And, yeah. you know, there, there was, um, you know, and, 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 and Homer Bailey – uh, maybe you've said it interesting or it was my favorite of the quotations out of uh, yesterday's clubhouse or two days ago, whenever the heck that was. Um, it seems like a lifetime ago. It's been just a, it, I can't remember a spring like this. Well, last year it was like this, but it was injury upon injury. And then this year it's, you know, he said, she said, um, speechifying, which is, hey, you know what? If I don't have to write and I just have to transcribe, that's great for me. It gets me out there a little earlier. Just put a lot of block quotes and, and, and go home and, and get dinner and a beer. Um, so perhaps my favorite was was Homer Bailey's comment. Um, and he said, he said, if this was a court of law, the cross-examination would go after the credibility of the witness. And that was kind of his, you know, he kind of dropped the mic and walked away after that. Um, It was just one of those things. And and, and Walt Jockety said, well, he said a bunch of stuff about San Diego when he left San Diego. He said a bunch of stuff here. Um, Consider the source. I mean, you don't hear general managers saying that. Um, And on the more fair side, I think a guy um, who really had an interesting take was um oh god i used the word take i hate the word take who had an interesting opinion that he stated which is what that means was bronson arroyo and what arroyo said was you know matt's a guy who depending on when you catch him you can get completely different answers because he's if he's agitated by something he's going to let you know how he feels at the time it doesn't always encompass how he feels every single day um, and he goes, you know, this is an explosive guy. That's part of what makes him that. You can see it on the mound. Um, he explosive. He's got great stuff, but you get a bad call and it, it, it knocks him out. And uh, he might, you know, and if he's in a bad state of mind when you ask him a question, you know, he might give you an answer that he probably didn't think through. Um, and, and, and maybe not exactly what he would say if he weren't worked up. And so you never know. I mean, you could – Ken did that um, interview on Sunday, and if he would have done it on Monday, he could have gotten a completely different different answer. And and I believe that. And that's just Matt. You know, Matt is a very emotional guy, and he is a very – Matt wanted to be here. He really did. And I think his feelings were hurt. And, I, I, you know, you can understand that. And so, you know, they chose – they, they had to make a choice. Yeah. Are they going to try to get Johnny Cueto or are they going to re-sign Matt Latos? They probably could have re-signed Matt Latos, but they decided to take the chance that maybe they could re-sign Johnny Cueto instead of what they probably could have done, and that was re-sign Matt Latos, who was open to it. So he saw – I mean, it's kind of a jilted ex-lover. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and the other thing was interesting was Marlon Burt was <laughs> – in the clubhouse dynamics, it's it's rarely uh, – it doesn't happen that often that 
a guy hears a discussion going on. He goes, hey, do you want a quote? And Marlon <laughs> Bird did that to me the other day. I was talking to, to Zach Cozart, and who's a couple uh, lockers down, number two and number nine. And he heard us talking about Matt Latos and Latos' comments. And Bird just goes, hey, you want a quote? And I said, yes, sir, I do. <laughs> of course. Thank you, Marlon. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, Marlon, I, I, I would. Um, and if you would, you know, write it up for me, too. And um, <laughs> it, could you just email it to me? Because that would be great. Um, you know, but he just said, well, after he said he should shut his damn mouth, um, he said. That sounds like Marlon. <laughs> he said, he said, listen, there's no reason to go after your other team. He should be thankful that the Reds looked out to him, for him. They sent him to a team that's ready to contend in the Marlins into a pitcher's park and he's still getting paid. So what does Matt have to complain about? Oh, wow. That's you know, a, <laughs> that's a I, nice point of view right there. It, it really is. And, and this is a guy who got traded. He goes, you know, I'm thankful that the Phillies traded me here. There are worse places I could have gone. Yeah, definitely. Could have stayed in Philly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, um, so that's it, it was an interesting point of view. And I think the biggest thing and, and, you know, you want to talk about leadership, you want to talk about all these fabulous things. I think the biggest thing is so many of the guys were upset, not that he went after Aroldis Chapman, not that he went after Homer Bailey, not that he went after Johnny Cueto, um, but that he went after the trainers as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and they were just saying, listen, these guys and and these 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 men and women work their butts off. They're here before we are. They leave after they're here all the time. They do everything we ask, you know, and <laughs> minimum wage for a major league baseball players around half a million dollars. It's not that for a trainer, you know, and, and so I think that's where a lot of people in that clubhouse got upset. Because they see these trainers who do a lot for them, and they felt that that Matt Latos questioned their professionalism, and um, they just didn't feel that's fair. You know, it, 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 it was it was you know you just you just don't go there. You can take on. I, I don't think they if that part wasn't in there, they would still be upset. But I don't think they would have been as upset. Yeah, so the the players are fair game. Well, I mean, players, managers, front office, you can you can take right. your shots at them, but then once you go with these these face, you know, nameless faceless people as far as as far as the public goes, these guys that, you know, aren't making right. much and are just there working their butts off trying to get you healthy and and you t- you're taking shots at them. Yeah, I can totally see that. That being that's that seems unfair and cheap on Latos's part, but I guess, you know, I I and, you know, I can't even pinpoint why I feel this way, but I'm not surprised by these comments from Latos. I can't remember what happened, what it was, but I just know he's been in, in these situations before or or he said something or maybe even tweeted something. that I was like, eh, OK, this is the type of guy he is. He'll, he'll shoot his mouth off every once in a, once in a while. That's, that's not a bad guy. I no, like Matt. Yeah. Um, I don't think he's malicious. I think Matt is just very emotional, mm-hmm. and 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 so I, I hate for it to be one of these like 
you know, it's too easy. And, and we see this all the time. You know, good guy, bad guy, uh, Republican, Democrat, um, <laughs> you know, that saber guy, scout guy, which, you know, I think most saber guys now or whatever you want to call them, us, whatever, really. I mean, they're about as appreciative of scouts as much more than the average old school guy. Oh, yeah. um, you know, the, the, it's it's easier just to take two labels and say it's either black or white and go with that. And, and, and Matt's not a bad guy. He's mm-hmm. just he's very emotional. And I think Bronson put it best. And well, Bronson usually does put it best. That's, <laughs> yeah, you know, Matt said that the Reds, the players in the Reds clubhouse missed Bronson Arroyo. I don't, I don't think, I don't think the players missed him quite as much as the writers did. Um, <laughs> you know, it's just kind of a guy that you can always go to. And, you know, I was talking to somebody, I think I was talking to Nick Pecora the other day and he said he went and talked to, talked to Bronson and he asked him, like, but he asked him one question, but in his answer, Bronson answered his next two and also gave him two points of view that he hadn't thought of. And that's just how Bronson is. So, yeah, did, the Reds missed Bronson, but we really missed Bronson. <laughs> Those guys are always key in a clubhouse. You need them. Uh, for us, I mean, for the for Well, the and also, Bronson's really smart and thinks about baseball a lot. And he's, you know, it's always fun to talk baseball with Bronson and, and guys like Bronson. And, you know, when Joey Votto wants to have – when you can talk to Joey Votto, he will – if you talk hitting with Joey Votto, you will learn something new. And it's, uh, it's – it's, it can be really fascinating. And, you know, if you don't think you already know everything when you go into the conversation, you will learn a lot more. <laughs> Yeah, I've definitely uh, had Votto open up to me before, so I got I got lucky at talking to him for about twenty minutes, and I got a lot of information in that twenty minutes. Speaking and of Votto, probably walked away just going, "Holy, yeah, wow, it just <laughs> that just happened." And I as a ball player, yeah, I had to re-listen to to that to those twenty minutes and make sure that really happened and. and kind of soak it all in and well i gotta relearn some things because i think i'm wrong on, on some points of view and right so <laughs> that was it was it was great and you know with the bottom obviously we've talked about how how great he can be when, when he's healthy and i look at this team i and and i've done this with every interview so far i guess probably i've looked at i've been looking at the rosters and the depth chart and say well if this happens and if this guy's yeah. 2014 wasn't wasn't you know wasn't right. a mirage it, am i am i convincing myself that the reds is it kind of crazy to see the reds being a you know a playoff contender or no. does everything have to go right or is it you know yes. certain things go right and and you know is it is it just that situation where everything it, it's so it's such a minuscule possibility of things going right but well but i think you're t- the, the, the thing is there are a lot of ifs and don't get me wrong there's a lot of ifs mm-hmm. but how many of these are crazy ifs is it a crazy if to say Johnny Cueto is 90 to 95% of what he was in 2013? No. I don't think so. You look at the track record, what he's done since 10. Um, is it crazy to say that Homer Bailey can be a good number two starter? I I don't think that's crazy. I mean, the guy has the stuff. If he can stay, if he can stay healthy, and that's always the question. Um, uh, is Mike Leak? What Mike Leak's going to be? What Mike Leak always says. That's a pretty good. There you have a top three in the rotation. Mm-hmm. Um, beyond that, you've got depth. You have guys that you can dream on, but you have enough guys in the rotation that, that you can get through five days 
um, every turn. Um, so then you're asking, is Todd Fraser or Todd Fraser and Devin Mezzarocco, can they be as good as they were last year? Maybe, but what if they're 80 to 90 percent of what they were last year? That's still pretty good. Can Billy Hamilton, is he the guy in the first half or the guy in the second half? Or is he somewhere in the middle? If he's somewhere in the middle, you're a little bit better there. Is Can Jay Bruce do what Jay Bruce has done in every season of his career other than 2014? Is that asking too much? Is, is saying, is Joey Votto, even if he's not the 2010 or the 2012 pre-injury, can Joey Votto put up a year like he did in 2013, which a lot of people around here seem to forget. Mm-hmm. He didn't have the RBI because he scored a ton of runs. How many runs did he score in 2013? He scored 101 runs. <laughs> um, yes. You know, can he can he have a 2013 season again? I I think so. Um, so. Yes, that's a lot of ifs. And are all those things going to happen? Probably not. But if a lot of those things happen, you're not asking a whole lot. Now, I also, on the other hand, one or two of those things go wrong, it can fall apart in a hurry. And, you know, they could they could have a new man. Jim Riggleman could be the manager about the All-Star break. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a possibility. Hmm. Uh, uh, but that's, you know... Truth may lie somewhere in the middle. You know, this this was a team in contention. It was two three games out of the All Star game last year. As bad as everything happened, stranger things happen over 162 games. You know, who did, the Giants had were 76 and 86 in 2013. What did they add last off season? I couldn't tell you. <laughs> yeah, I know they lost Matt Cain. Yeah, they didn't. It, it, Bumgarner stepped up and and yeah, I mean the Giants always. I, I don't know how they do. They're anything. an aberration. <laughs> I don't know how they do anything. Right. <laughs> Sometimes you wonder if Sabia does either, but it, it just works. I mean, of course, I said the same same thing about Billy Bean. Maybe it's just the Bay Area. You know, it's like, well, Billy Bean, what's he doing this year? Oh God, it worked. Um, yeah. So who who knows? But I mean, I just don't. I don't think it would. It would be the this great shocker if they were a playoff team, and I I would be. I mean, let's just say I haven't made any plans for October. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's but pretty... <laughs> I, I, there may be tentative plans. Okay. Fair. Fair. I, I'm looking at the calendar and saying, yeah, yeah we could probably do that, but. <laughs> I'm not going to commit. I'm not going to put any um, down payments on anything. <laughs> you mentioned the manager there, Brian Price. Uh, you know, when he was brought in, when Dusty Baker was let go, uh, I think there was a lot of optimism as far as, well, at least from people that, like, you know, this guy's going to be a little more forward thinking, a little more open minded. How has that panned out? How has he been as a manager? What What are the pluses? What are the minuses when. Uh, you know, considering everything that he does, managing a clubhouse, managing uh, in-game and, and dealing with you guys in the media. You know, while dealing with us in the media, he's he's fantastic. He's a smart guy. He gives you good answers. He's honest um, as much as any. I mean, he will not answer a question, but he won't straight up lie to your face that I know of yet. <laughs> um, so, you know, he's pretty good with that part. Um, the other part, I think there was a lot of learning how to do it last year. 
And, you know, he, he talked about a lot of things that he wanted to do, but there's a difference between talking in spring training about in an ideal world, what you're going to do. And then dealing with all of that once the game start, especially with bullpen usage, you know, he talked about how he didn't like to go lefty righty matchups and that wasn't something he was going to do. And he might bring in a role as Chapman earlier than the ninth. And those are two things. He just did the conventional wisdom on that. And, and there's a lot of reasons for that. One was, the bullpen was really not good last year, except for his eighth inning guy, Broxton, and his ninth inning guy. Most often, Broxton was so good in the eighth inning that there was no reason to bring in Chapman in the ninth. Now, could he have brought Broxton in the seventh more? Maybe, and then stretch it all out, but he didn't. And then he did use a lot of the matchups, and a lot of that was because he just didn't have his – his bullpen was never healthy. Manny Parra was never healthy. Um, Arolas Chapman missed the first part of the season, got everybody up to snuff. J.J. Um, Hoover had a fascinating season. If you look at J.J. Hoover's numbers, it's like all the peripherals were the same as they've always been and, and a little bit better. You know, strikeouts were up and all these other things. It's just that when somebody hit it, it went out of the ballpark. Hmm. And um, he's kind of a really interesting guy if you're going to take a deep dive into some of those numbers when you look at his 14 versus the rest of his career. You know, the thing that went up was his home run rate skyrocketed. And all the others were actually a little bit better than they had been. And and he ends up just blowing everything. So it's it's really kind of – I don't know that Brian ever had the team – that he thought he was going to have or that he, or that he wanted. So um, I, I, I don't know. It's going to be really interesting. And I think he's learned a lot from what he went through last year and what he's going through now. And it, one of the biggest losses, and, and I say this with all due respect to Jeff Pico, I think Jeff Pico has done a good job. But one of the biggest problems was Brian Price lost. Brian Price as his pitching coach. Mm-hmm. Brian Price is a fantastic pitching coach. I mean, just look at the guy's track record, and, and, and he's one of the best in the game. And it's funny, we we're kind of talking about how, oh, well, the, you know, they could buy him out, and he probably didn't have the, you know, he certainly didn't have the salary that Dusty had, but he was one of the highest-paid pitching coaches in the game. So he got a bump when he went to manager, but, you know, he was still making a lot of money as a pitching coach, and, and that was one of the reasons why. Because he's he's worth it. He's really really good. That's that yeah. That's an interesting situation. If if he doesn't pan out as a manager, you I mean you lose him as he's, the manager and the pitching coach too. I mean he's not he's not gonna. If Brian Price gets fired as the Reds manager, he's not gonna get. He probably won't get a, another manager gig right away. But you know, he's he's gonna have a job when he wants it. Mm-hmm. No doubt. Because this guy is a phenomenal pitching coach, and he's also a guy that people like working with and for. So Brian Price says it's going to be fine in this game, whether it's as the Reds manager, I don't know. Uh, before I let you go, Trent, uh, it's not the key to the season, but what, what storyline, what event, what are you looking forward to as a writer, as someone that covers the Reds? What are you looking forward to for 2015? Uh, debating Joey Votto every day. Uh, no. <laughs> you know, I think there's some interesting arms out in this rotation. You know, you, we talked about the three, 
Well, the four or five, there's two guys that I'm really interested in, and that's uh, Di Sclafani and um, Rysela Galasius. These two guys have a chance to be really good. And um, so I, I'm kind of very interested in them and seeing what they do. Uh, you know, uh, how about the the progression that Billy Hamilton makes? Because it, it's funny, you know, even when the Reds weren't playing well, you knew there was always a chance that you could see something you'd never seen before. Mm-hmm. And that was due to two of the most really exciting players in the game. Not best, most exciting players in the game. The two guys, because you could talk, you know, not everybody appreciates what Joey Votto does, but it doesn't take much to appreciate the sheer speed of Billy Hamilton and then the sheer speed of the left arm of Aroldis Chapman. You know, Aroldis Chapman averaged 100 miles, more than 100 miles per hour on his fastball last year. I mean, we go through just some of the – I did this story at the end of last year, and you're talking about like, you know, there are 400-some pitches of 102 or 101 mile an hour is over um, last year, and like 90 – or, you know, 75% of them were from Aroldis Chapman. And like, they're just these crazy numbers that you're just like, you got to – I got to see that pretty much every day, and I got to see Billy Hamilton um, – in the outfield, and that's the one thing. That was his second year playing in the outfield in his life, and he was near Gold Glove. I mean, I think Juan Lagares was probably the best defensive center fielder in, in, in the National League, but I don't think Billy Hamilton was too far behind. And that's um, that was pretty impressive. And, and when he got on the bases, he knew things were going to happen. So I, I think you know those those things will continue to be fun, and. Um, you know, I always, I like to look at the minor league some, so I'm pretty excited to see, um, when Jesse Winker comes up, this is a kid who just has, I mean, the comparisons are to Jay Bruce and it's, it's, it's not fair to either guy. Um, but it's just, it's so funny cause they're both left-handed. They're both extremely affable. Um, they both have these sweet left-handed swings. Jay Bruce has, has more power. And is a better defender, but Jesse Winker's probably got a better hit tool. I mean, the, the, these guys are both. I mean, Jesse Winker has the potential to be a very good player, and Jabers has been. So it's just going to be kind of interesting to see where that goes. Uh, Trent, before I let you go, why don't you let the listeners know where they can follow you uh, on social media, Twitter, whatever else you're on, and uh, where they can read your work. Uh, Cincinnati.com is where they can read my work. That's a Cincinnati Inquirer. And then uh, I guess C. Trent is my Twitter handle. Uh, C-T-R-E-N-T. Pretty simple. <laughs> Thanks for joining me. That's Trent Rosecrantz, Reds beat writer for the Cincinnati Inquirer. I'm Sahadev Sharma. You can follow me on Twitter at Sahadev Sharma. Trent, thanks again. Take care. Anytime, Sahadev. All right. That's it for the Reds preview. Thank you for listening. You can rate and review and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. You can send us emails for next week's listener email show at podcast at baseballperspectus.com. Join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash effectively wild and support our sponsor, the Baseball Reference Play Index, by going to baseballreference.com, subscribing to the Play Index using the coupon code BP and getting the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription. 
Also, my periodic reminder to check out Banish to the Pen, banishtothepen.com, the blog written by Effectively Wild listeners who are writing up preview posts for each team that we preview on the podcast, so you can go check those out. We will be back tomorrow with another team. I've been a y'all sayer all my life. I've always had a little twang. It doesn't take, I should say, it doesn't, it doesn't take much to get me speaking with a little twang. Like if I'm around someone with a little twang, I'm, I'm on it. Of course, when I go to Singapore, I speak with a Singaporean accent too. I'm just actually not comfortable in my own skin. <laughs>